This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the Old City of Jerusalem, the Nation Torah. Today we're discussing the separation of sexes because uh, someone told me that their wife wasn't that interested in, like he is, not inspired in Judaism because she doesn't like the separation of sexes, which I imagine has to do with synagogue and weddings, maybe. Probably not weddings, because where they live, there are no weddings. So, the, um, no, they live in San Francisco. So, how often you go to a wedding in San Francisco? Well, I guess same-sex weddings. Maybe. So, just kidding. Not everyone in San Francisco is having same-sex weddings. But the, um, the anyway. But the point for us is that is that Judaism. The reason we separate the sexes in Judaism. You ready for this? Is because Judaism is actually a sex-crazed tradition. It's a a sex-crazed tradition. Now, why did we all miss that? You know why we all missed that? Because chances are you weren't expecting me to say that. That was not what you were expecting the answer about separation of of, of the genders. Um, Right? That wasn't like, hey, if I gave you all a bunch of guesses, you weren't going to guess that I was going to offer that as the answer, that we're a sex-crazed tradition. But we really are a sex-crazed tradition. The reason why you would never have thought of that answer is because you have had your senses greatly dulled by the sexual licentiousness of the millennial generation. Because something that's exciting and worth being crazy about in sexuality has to be somehow depraved or uh, somehow not traditional, not, not the way things were done. It has to be something pretty out there. It's got to have something to do with maybe someone of the same gender or maybe multiple partners, or maybe it's uh, actual uh, 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 couple swapping, or, or maybe it's robots, or pornography, or something like that. It has to, for it to be, for someone to be sex crazed, it has to be wrong. <laughs> it has to be wrong. It has to somehow break the Torah in some way, or break with tradition in some way. And so, one should realize that if they are a hetero, if you are listening to this as a heterosexual person, so, so, you should be very happy about the separation of sexes, because the separation of sexes in Judaism, in is, is one of the main factors that maintains a high value toward sexual intimacy. The separation of genders is what is what creates that in many ways. I mean, many other things created as well, as you can imagine, but, but certainly the separation of the sexes creates that kind of tension that is very, very good for, um, for sexuality. And in Judaism, since sexuality is really put on a very high pedestal, the, the uh, separation of sexes is a very, very positive thing. And the... Um, but let's, let's d- dissect the subject uh, as thoroughly as we can. Um, now, obviously, it's, it's considered uh, heresy today to say that, that sexuality, when expressed by a married couple who are committed to each other for life, which is absolutely necessary... Um, that they're married because you, the only way to really traverse or, or navigate s- 
intimacy, especially with sexual intimacy, the only way to truly navigate that is with a the kind of bond that's impossible to get out of, because otherwise you'll just quit. Because intimacy, and especially sexual intimacy, is just so fraught with danger. I mean, it's it's got... It is so complicated. You know, I, I can tell you, just married 24 years that I'm... I'm married longer than most of you are alive. And uh, in a very seriously growing and working marriage. And I can tell you, I'm almost nowhere at this point. But thank God we're locked in. Meaning, meaning divorce has to be a million times harder than whatever you're going through. Because divorce is that hard. Whatever you'll go through in your marriages, it, divorce is going to be harder. And I don't know how people ever even get divorced because it's like, you know it's going to get harder. Like, you know you're going to be totally screwed if you get divorced. And yet, for some reason, it's people will choose it anyway. And deal with that suffering and anyone out there is listening to this who's divorced you know my condolences because I know it's rough and and there are certain people who got out of their marriage and it was better but they're not truly divorced they're, you're never going to leave that person if you have kids together you're together forever even if you're divorced even if you've remarried that person will be in your life and and therefore you want to have as nice a divorce as possible in fact I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday who I took his whole family out for a beautiful meal at a fancy restaurant in Jerusalem. And, uh, and he invited his wife, who he's, you know, in the middle of divorce with. And, but I mean, they're really in divorce. Like, it's any day now is the final decision of the court. And, you know, who gets what and who, who custody and everything. And so, and so there, but there he was treating her to a beautiful dinner and, and he's, he's, I asked him, you know, what's up? And he's like, well, she's the mother of my children. And I've spent the last 27 years with her. And she's a human being, and she's a Jew, and she's, and she's deserving of compassion and, and respect. And, and uh, I'm going out to dinner with all of her children. And why shouldn't she come along and you know, have a nice dinner? Is that an amazing guy? Mm-hmm. That's an amazing guy. And if you had any idea of his situation, you'd just, you'd just keel over right now and faint if you knew what, what he's up against in this situation. And even in the divorce, it's a pretty, pretty harsh situation. And uh, not to mention the 27 years he's been through. And, and I know the situation <laughs> intimately, so it's like, He's a, this guy is so holy to do that because you really are married to someone forever even if you get divorced and he's, he's treating it that way now the separation breeds desire familiarity takes it away and we all know this to be fact because, like, show me any... Uh, I, those of you, I know this room's always filled with people raised observant, but, but if you knew the secular world better, if you knew the secular world better, you'd know that there are, there are like, these neighborhoods and groups of friends and communities where, like, you'll meet them. And I get to be a rabbi sometimes going to run a Shabbaton there. <laughs> all I'm meeting is, like, all these eligible single people. 
in their young 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, 30s, early 30s, late 30s, 40s. They're perfect for each other and they already love each other. They're all like so connected. They've known each other forever, but they're all still single. And the reason is, is because they've been together the whole time. There was no separation. Familiarity, all that intermingling has made it impossible for anyone to marry each other. I think it also takes away a bit of the mystery because think about it, when you guys get married, it's a real grab bag who you're getting. You'll only really realize who you married like a couple weeks into the marriage, you'll start to get a picture of it. Half a year later, maybe you'll get more of a picture. By a year, you know who you married. But these communities of people in their late 20s and 30s to 40s, they, they, just, they just know too much already. And there's, you know, you, you, you gotta not see the downside too much when you're when you're getting married you have to just be fooled into the upside of stuff and that's and that's great you know people are totally enamored like my wife was so enamored with me when when we were getting married and only to find out later that she married a beach bum (laughs) and then like woke up one day and realized that you know i wake up hours after her and i expect quiet while I'm while I'm getting my little beauty rest, you know, in the, throughout the morning hours, where she's from a family where everyone's up at like four thirty-five, like five a.m. for sure, everyone's up and they're busy doing their lives. And my wife's to this day, like twenty-four years later, she's still up five in the morning. She's up. She loves the quiet times. Very uh, active and uses her time well. And and she knows just keep it real quiet in our room till. You know, until my quarter of eight alarm rings. And you, you guys probably all think quarter of eight's quite early, but <laughs> not in her culture. And I'm, by the way, I'm not as much of a bum because she's, she's built me up quite a bit, so I've, I'm a lot less bum than who she married. Um, but you want the surprise to come after you're married, not before. And, and of course, we all want to do diligence to to see who we're marrying. So for sure, due diligence, but but don't don't live with the, the person. You know? like, don't get to know them too well because every one of us is a li- has m- just as much liability as we have on the upside, meaning the upside of what we're offering someone in marriage, there's just as much, if not more, liability in marrying you. And so... And so you don't want to know too much of the liability in marrying someone because you just won't do it. You'll just stay single. And staying single is a million times worse than the liability of marriage. Staying single is way worse than the liabilities. And so that's why I believe that you shouldn't know too much about the person. The main thing you want to know is that they're pleasing in your eyes, meaning physically pleasing, not more than that, just pleasing. And, uh, and then the other thing is that if, there are any, if you have any deal breakers, then be serious about your deal breakers. Like, for example, a deal breaker might be that the person keeps Shabbos. Deal breaker might be that the person has a degree. Deal breaker might be that the person's Persian. <laughs> if you're Persian. Or you're, if you're Persian, Persians should marry Persians. They're asking for trouble if they don't marry Persians. They, uh, uh, a Syrian should generally marry a Syrian. 
the rest of the Sephardim are pretty good to go. <laughs> but Syrians generally should be marrying Syrians, and Persians should definitely be marrying Persians. And the... Um, you're allowed deal breakers, that's fine. But let's get back to the sexes. So, so having the separation creates, creates great, des- great desire there. And uh, not to mention that even couples themselves separate because during menstruation it's forbidden to, to cohabitate with one's spouse. And, the, uh, and that time is, is really, really good for, for connection, for connection that, that they, they reconvene every two weeks and have this you know, amazing reunion that takes place. And because the separation of sexes, because the, the people are not fraternizing with people of the opposite gender, what it does is it causes you, let's say you're a woman, causes you to be the most special thing that your husband ever interacted with, as opposed to the most boring thing your husband ever interacted with. Because with the separation of sexes, the, the, your husband's you know, has had very minimal interaction. And, and whatever interaction he may have professionally with people the opposite gender is... Um, and please, I apologize for the millennials who don't use the word gender anymore, but I still do. Okay, I apologize. But people the opposite gender, the... Um, is, is in your service. That's good for you. Because when you're finally back together... He's actually excited about that. It's not like he's getting his fill somewhere else with uh, interaction with people of the opposite gender, especially if it's professional, because those are relationships that can last for years. You know, working if they're working in the same company or in the same field for years. So you have a husband who's involved, or a wife, this could go both ways, uh, that's involved for years in a relationship. So if you know that your spouse is, is keeping... Uh, Torah values in their relationships professionally. So, so your spouse is genuinely excited to be with you nightly, and especially after menstruation, which is requires you know obviously it, it includes extra days afterwards because there's a day, there's a seven day count of no menstruation before she before a woman goes to mikvah. And, and her being not menstruating is meaningless if she hasn't had a mikvah. A woman who has not menstruated, doesn't matter if she hasn't menstruated in 20 years, if she had not hit a mikvah before, it is the same as, as cohabitating with a menstruant. And that's important for people to know that, that uh, without a mikvah, it's, a woman is considered a menstruant, and that's one of the prohibitions. It's one of the 613 commandments of the Torah and uh, shouldn't be treated lightly at all. Uh, for those who think that they're just doing a fine job uh, by waiting, it's not enough just to wait. It, it doesn't mean anything that they waited. Without a mikvah, it, nothing happened, meaning she has not yet become permitted to her to her man. The anyway, but this this connection, this reunion that takes place is only as a result of the separation of the sexes because it, it's something exciting. It's exciting. This is their key relationship. Now, for those of you who aren't that excited about separating every two weeks, so then um, 
the suggestion is to be Haredi. Haredi. Oh, and speaking of being Haredi, um, just remind me, just write, uh, not excited about the separation. Just so I remember. Um, something about being Haredi is, um, I personally feel that everyone has to choose their level of uh, traditional tradition, meaning we don't choose halacha or not halacha. Or you can choose that, but I'm saying people who keep halacha, you have many other choices of which tradition you want to follow. Anywhere from like super modern orthodox to like ultra Haredi, you know, orthodox, you know, ultra orthodox. So you have those, you have like a whole, a giant spectrum of, of possibility there of how you keep what you keep. So I actually don't care what anyone keeps on that level, meaning you got to keep what works for you and be real honest with yourself, but you got to keep what works for you. There, I meet people sometimes who are ultra orthodox who shouldn't be. And I meet people who are, who are modern Orthodox who really should be probably Haredi. So you got to figure out where you need to be in an honest way. And I just want to say one more thing is anyone who becomes observant or is observant, who's, uh, who didn't get married in their young 20s and now finds themselves in a long cycle of singlehood should become modern Orthodox. They should, even if they're supposed to be Haredi and Haredi is the way they like it and that's, they really want that whole Haredi uh, lifestyle, they should drop it for the next years until they get married. And the reason they should do so is because the Haredi community is a fully and entirely married culture. It is a m- culture that revolves entirely around marriage. And if you want to get depressed, well, an easy recipe is be Haredi as a single man in your tw- late 20s, 30s, yeah, be Haredi, you'll stay alone for a real long time and you'll wind up totally depressed and eventually you're going to take it out on God as most depressed people do, take it out on God. And the, uh, so, whereas the modern Orthodox world does not revolve around the marriage so much and they, they revolve more around career and hobbies and other, other things they enjoy and, they, uh, and, they, and therefore being single and sec- being single and observant is not such a torture chamber for the modern Orthodox. It works. And uh, not to mention you get to meet a hell of a lot more people and uh, potentially uh, get married with one of them <laughs> and then drop the bomb on her afterwards that you actually want to wear a strimal. You know? <laughs> Let her figure that out later, <laughs> Anyway, but, but someone who got married within the time frame, great. If you didn't get married within the time frame, put on a knitted kippa and, uh, and you know, shave your beard and hide your payas and just, just go modern orthodox for because otherwise you're just going to go out of, your, out of your mind, you know, dealing with Haredi, where everything's just marriage, 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 marriage. I mean, how many Shabbos tables can you go to where all people talk about is their kids? You know? <laughs> You leave that Shabbos table, you're ready to kill somebody. You know, you're going to be like the, the, the Shabbos table gunman, you know, on the news. You know. Some guy blew up a whole, Shabbos ta- a whole Shabbos table, you know, like, you just couldn't hear one more story about who was marrying who and this kid and that kid and the other kid. and like, like you, just, you just want to ram your head against a wall after a while. And it's amazing. I'm married, and those topics don't interest me that much, but I find myself anyway getting involved in 
I love the conversations in the end. I mean, I, I don't love them more than talking about uh, other things. You know, obviously, I'm very philosophical, and I, I don't want to just talk about who had a kid. But, but the, um, but it's still exciting to me because I'm in the parsha, and you know, I'm in that parsha of children and grandchildren, and I love it. But it's you know the last on my list of discussions. And if I were single, I would ram my head against the wall to hear be at a Shabbos table talking about such things. So, yeah, you want to you want to ask a question? I hear practically what you're saying, but you're saying that also some should go up their values and go more modern, which is not necessarily they're living Haredi with their with their value system just to get married, which is not really true. It's not to get married. It's to not get depressed. Good, but you're not being true to yourself either, so you might be good depressed of not being true because you're really Haredi and you're trying to settle in in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the main point of being Haredi is that you're serious about Torah study, you're serious about mitzvahs, and you're serious about avodah Hashem and sneers. You can do all that in the in the modern authentics world. Just chill out and get some new friends. Okay, you need new friends, like all those single modern orthodox kids out there. They can be your friends. You can learn just as much Torah. You can dive in just as intensely. You can shuckle until you're, you know, you're, you're falling over. And you, you can do all the Haredi stuff. You don't have to let go of any of that. You'll be the frumest guy that anyone ever met in the modern Orthodox world. Someone else had a point? Yeah. yeah. I'm saying modern Orthodox, right? So how do you define that as opposed to regular Orthodox? Modern Orthodox means, means you're that all the stuff that the Haredim call Greek is still kosher. <laughs> Sports, secular studies, uh, knowing what's happening in the world. You got WhatsApp, for heaven's sakes. You know, you're, you're like, you're somewhat linked in to what's going on on this planet, you know. The, that's some examples. Some examples. Um, I'm not talking about the modern orthodox world that doesn't keep things. That's not called modern orthodox. That's called conservadox. Okay. And meaning once, once someone's already texting on Shabbos, they've left the modern orthodox. Okay. Texting on Shabbos, you are now conservadox. Which means conservative means you get to do whatever the hell you want, but you're, but you're, you know, you're still part of the Torah community. That's conservadox. Okay. Whereas Totally conservative means you're just you're just a very firm reformed Jew. Okay. But we're we're talking about conservadox. Once you're once you're texting on Shabbos, you're you're no longer really within the the what's considered the observant community because if you're not keep Shabbos, man, I mean I, we have pretty loose rules of what's called observant already. You know, it's just the big three: Shabbos, kashrus, and and sexual laws. Meaning, uh, keeping your pants on. Like, you're in. If you, if you do those things, you're in. Like, that's pretty loose, considering there's 55,000 halachas. Given that there's 55,000 halachas, the fact that we consider someone observant for keeping Shabbos, kosher, and keeping their pants on, I mean, that's liberal. That's liberal for being called observant. So, so like, but once you're texting on Shabbos, you, you're, out, you're out of that, you're out of that seen. You know, you're, you're doing your own things now. You know, you're no longer, you know, part of that culture. And, and the, uh, 
By the way, if someone still wants to feel they're part of the culture, I think it's better for them to think they're still part of the culture. Meaning I would never disenfranchise, even though they've disenfranchised themselves ultimately. I, I personally would never disenfranchise an individual who still feels she's orthodox, though she's, you know, on, on Instagram all Shabbos. You know, like, if she wants to consider herself orthodox, all the power to her. You know, great. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's already out there. Yeah. Is it possible ever to just like be considered not observant while not being conservatox? Because I think that at least my with what I knew the definition of conservatism is is more like modernizing the Torah while 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 like this let's say this person is still part of the modern Orthodox community but is just not as observant. So they would go to like a shul with a machitza and with a male rabbi and like still follow halacha in the more like to the right, like, like, even though they may text on the right, so they're just not observant while not being. Concerned. Yeah, I have a term for those people. They're called frum friendly. <laughs> frum friendly. I have lots of friends and students who are frum friendly. They they just never quite took everything on, or they dropped stuff and never got back to it. Mm-hmm. And I just call them frum friendly people. I love my frum friendly people. They're like, <laughs> some of them are like really close friends of mine and. They're from friendly. So um, let's get back to our subject. Is just one more thing I was going to say is that... Uh, I'm excited about separation. Oh, oh, yeah, what I was going to say is, <laughs> this was really long-winded, but however far to the left one wants to be in modern Orthodox, they should still keep Haredi standards when it comes to the interaction with the other sexes people of the opposite sex. So, and here I'm talking more people who are married. Single people, forget about it. But married people should not be fraternizing <coughs> with people of the opposite gender, even if they're modern orthodox. See, a lot of people like the fringe benefit of modern orthodoxy in that you get to like still be fully engaged with people of the opposite gender. You get, you like, you get the pleasure of like being totally close with your friends' wives and stuff. And, and uh, being at mixed gatherings and all that. I mean, you get to enjoy all that, which is a great enjoyment for many men. It's, you know, it's a, it's a real pleasure to have all these, you know, foxy ladies to hang out with, you know. It's, and, and, they, and they're respectful of you, and you feel manly, and it's, uh, it's all the good stuff. But the problem is, is it's really horrible for your marriage. So I believe that someone who takes a modern Orthodox approach, they should be... Keep keeping Haredi standards in their interactions with people of the opposite gender. Is that clear? Because that's the only fair thing to your spouse. It's the only fair thing. And uh, and how is a married woman with her hair covered and her body covered supposed to feel about her marriage knowing that her husband's got wandering eyes and is super loose with his interaction with females and of all ages and all dress codes from no dress code to full dress code the um, how is she supposed to compete with that? you understand? a woman wants to feel attractive in her husband's eyes and when the modern orthodox man is fraternizing fully with people of the opposite gender his wife doesn't stand a chance to feel special in his eyes. 
And so if someone really feels like their path is the modern orthodox, to, in my opinion, all the power to them. And I, he gets all my respect. She gets all my respect. But when it comes to how they interact with people of the opposite gender, you should be getting all your cues from the Haredi world. Because that's the respectful thing to do to one's spouse who's dedicated his or her life to you. The, uh, the, the least you can do for them is keep Haredi standards in, in, uh, when it comes to tznias, when it comes to uh, how you interact with people of the opposite gender. And this goes all the way to moderate to Haredi, is that a man should be keeping, as long as he keeps Torah, he should be keeping strict standards of how he interacts with people of the opposite gender in honor of his spouse. Now, for those of you who think separating every two weeks doesn't sound great to you, if you don't like that very much, well, I, I had said, so be Haredi. Why be Haredi? Because Haredi don't use birth control. And if you don't, if you don't use birth control, by the way, not all Haredim don't use birth control, but traditionally Haredim didn't use birth control, and today probably many do. Um, but the, but in general, the Haredi system is have as many kids as God gives you. So if your family plan is to plan to have a big family, if that's your family planning, and you're doing the Haredi thing where you're just going to have kid after kid after kid after kid, so then you never have to separate from your spouse. I know people who in 20 years of marriage separated due to menstruation five times in 20 years because she was either pregnant or nursing the entire 20 years. So if you, if you don't think the separation is that romantic to, in your eyes, and you don't want to separate every two weeks. So the good news is, is that when a woman is nursing or pregnant, none of that happens anyway. And so you don't have to worry about all that. And the, um, whereas the modern Orthodox, yeah, they wanted to, they, they plan, their family planning is based on how many seats are in their sedan. <laughs> you know, where, listen, we got three seats in the back, we're having three kids, that's enough. It's one more than replacement. Okay? Two is replacing ourselves, three is we have procreated. Okay? And the, and so the, that's their family plan. Well, they, that's the bright side, the, the not bright side is you're going to be dealing with menstruation for the rest of your married life. Okay, and that's, that's just the, the way it works. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is that, um, is that the, um, when the secular world thinks sexuality is like the, the non-traditional sexuality is the racy sexuality, that's, where, that's what's hot, whereas the traditional sexuality is not, even though the observant community puts makes sexuality like the hottest thing there could ever be because our entire tr- all our customs are built around making sexuality like super super you know exciting super exciting like like it's if you understood the observant community you'd say they're sex crazed basically because the uh, because and I know it sounds weird in the millennial years in 2019 to hear that the observant community are sex crazed but our traditions built to, to constantly make sexuality be the highest value in your life. And it, the union of man and woman in marriage, the sexual intimate union, is, is your highest service of God. And it's something worth protecting. It's something worth even hiding. Like, as you'll notice in Haredi homes, there's, in most even modern orthodox homes that the husband and wife have two separate beds all together 
so it, like it makes it look like nothing's going on like we're just roommates you know it just creates so much so much uh, what's the word mystique uh, there's a better word it creates mystique around it it's it's mystery? something mystery it's 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 like no one knows except the two of you what's really going on in there and it's it's super special and there's and i can tell you many more details of what creates it super special uh, but I'm not going to go into them so much right now. But the, the last thing I want to share with you is I read an uh, academic paper. And that was actually, I read it in Newsweek because it, once it hit all its peer review and it was proven to be true, Newsweek actually posted it in the magazine, which is where I got to see it. And that is that, um, is that secular couples, the racy ones who seem to be having all the fun on the billboards and TV shows and movies and um, the ones who seem like they're really, you know, uh, very sexually active and excited about things. So they, the, it turns out that they have polled married couples. I guess they, after ten years, yeah. This this paper said that after ten years, they they polled how often the couple cohabitates after ten years of marriage. And you'll be shocked to hear that the answer was that the average couple after ten years of marriage only sleeps together once every six weeks. Once every six weeks. Now, is anyone in this room, raise your hand if you'd like to sleep with your spouse once every six weeks. Okay? The answer is nobody in this room wants that to be their fate. Nobody wants that to be their fate. Yet that is statistically likely your fate if you're not keeping Torah. Because the people they were polling were the were just the average Americans. And they are with their spouses once every six weeks, which means there are some people who are together more and there are some people together less, but the average was once every six weeks. Can you imagine even less? I mean, that's really rough. You know how many times a year that is? Once every six weeks? Who can do that math? How many weeks are there in a year? I don't know. Eight, eight and a half. What? So how many, how many times together is that in a year? Eight and a half. Eight and a half times. I hate to think about the halftime. <laughs> Sounds like it's one constant halftime. So they're always in a halftime. The game never starts. Yeah. So anyway, eight and a half times. Can you imagine? Only cohabitation. Like you took the plunge, you sacrificed, you got married, you took on the liabilities of another human being, and now you're, everything's cut in half of all your money and everything you're doing and and you're only sleeping together eight and a half times a year, you realize that sucks. Like, that, that means your life sucks. Okay? And, and by the way, who knows what they're really up to? It'll only talk about when they're together. Who knows who else they're with or whatever else is going on. You know, God knows, because all of these numbers came in right after the Internet and the pornography and all that, so who knows what they're up to. But... But it's eight and a half times a year. Now, let's look at the Judaism statistics. We actually know the Jewish stats. Know how we know? Halacha. Because the halacha is that anyone who, anyone who's, is, oh, sorry, anyone who's married is never allowed to cohabitate with their spouse less than twice a week. Never less than twice a week. And that includes the 20 years of no menstruation. That includes all the time they're allowed to be together for 20 years straight. You're never allowed less than twice a week in Jewish marriage. 
Don't worry about the noise right now. He just, he's letting everyone in. I'll be done and I'm finishing up right now. So he's, you understand, never less than twice a week. How many times more is twice a week to one in, tw one in six weeks? Anyone know? So the answer is it's 12 times more. That alone should send every man in this room to a tzitzit shop. Meaning, meaning, forget the fact that there's God and Torah is true. This fact alone should be enough. This fact alone should be enough for anyone to hear that, to just say, hmm, maybe I'm pretty interested in God and Torah. Maybe I should find out if there's truly a God. Can you close the door, please? Maybe I should find out. One second, just close the door for a minute. Maybe every man should find out if God, if there's God or if Torah is true, just based on the fact that, that you're going to actually be able to be married for real. Because twice a week, by the way, how many couples do you think after 30 years of marriage are only together twice a week? You realize that once that's in your culture, twice a week's the minimum you're together with your spouse. You're together more than twice a week. Twice a week's just, we only know that based on halacha. But when you're in a culture where cohabitation, sexual cohabitation, is the value itself, and it's built in never less than twice a week, so it never goes away. And in fact, it's much more than twice a week. For many couples, twice a week is about half as much as they're together. For all their married life. Okay, if they're geriatric or something, so it's twice a week. Can you imagine the stats of being together with one's spouse only once every six weeks after 10 years of marriage? How about after 20 years of marriage? How about after 30 years of marriage? After a while, you're, you're literally just roommates. And who knows what else you're up to to keep things interesting. Separation of the sexes in Judaism is the best thing that could have ever happened. And it's all in honor, ultimately, of the women in the end. It ultimately is the greatest good in uh, Judaism when it comes to intimacy. Thank you very much. So. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.